0: middle of the earth, in the land of
1: Shire. There is an inn, a merry old inn beneath an old grey hill, and there they brew a beer so long. The greatest adventure is
0: what lies ahead. I should like to save the Shire if I could, though there have been times when I thought the inhabitants too stupid and dull for words, and I felt that an earthquake or an invasion of dragons might be good for them. But I don't feel like that now. I feel that as long as the Shire lies behind, safe and comfortable, I shall find wandering more bearable. I shall know that somewhere there is a firm foothold, even if my feet cannot stand there again.
1: out last time, that the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self changed
0: into a Christ self. Welcome back to the Inklings Variety Hour, where fans and scholars of C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, Charles Williams, Owen Barfield, and others discuss their works and lives. I'm Chris Pipkin, conservationist of imaginary worlds. And with me today is friend of the show, Sophie Burkhart. How's it going, Sophie?
1: Oh, it's great. So excited to be here talking about the Shire.
0: Me too. Me too. Now, listener, Sophie is currently working on her MA in Theological Studies at Regent College in Vancouver. She is where again?
1: I am in South Carolina at the present moment.
0: All right. But soon you'll be moving to Virginia, right?
1: Uh-huh. Arguably the best state in the U.S. Of A
0: yeah I don't think there's even an argument it It just is until you get up into the Northern Virginia region and then it just kind of ceases being Virginia in my opinion, but maybe you disagree
1: no I mean, I mean, once you get too close to d c then it's just d c just <laughs> takes city,
0: yeah. everything over and it's like going from the Shire before to the Shire at the end of Lord of the Rings with all the development. It's fun that you mentioned that because I grew up in Virginia. I grew up in rural Virginia. I have very fond memories of that, of being within, you know, I mean, this is different from the from the Shire because they don't have mountains anywhere in view, but I remember being, you know, being within visible visible distance. I, I could see the mountains is, is what I was trying <laughs> to say near where i grew up in the tiny town of amosville virginia and and then later on in fredericksburg virginia i couldn't see the mountains from there but it's a lovely little town but yeah north of fredericksburg it just starts to get you know they're they're, they're a strange bunch <laughs> beyond there it sounds awesome what you're talking about in, in terms of moving to virginia and and you're going to be teaching at a classical school up there
1: oh yes pretty excited in a in a self-titled shire-like uh, little schoolhouse
0: very cool That's idyllic listeners i've been not sure how to best cover works in tolkien's legendarium on this podcast i've done a lot of minor works by tolkien there we i did one with with cora on smith of wooden major I've done the uh, Father Christmas Letters. But whenever we do books, whenever we do like full novels, it takes a long dang time. I, I can't believe I only took three episodes to cover The Voyage of the Don Treader. It might've even been two, I forgot. But to do like Till We Have Faces, it took about 20 episodes. I don't even want to think about how long The Hobbit would take, much less Lord <laughs> of the Rings or The Silmarillion. So my idea in doing a podcast on The Shire is to basically tackle the Lord of the Rings stuff geographically. Uh, and that way we don't have to like stick to the plot of the book. We can do an episode here, an episode there. We're not committed to doing like, A hundred episodes in a season about Fellowship of the Ring or something like that, right? So, so my thought is we'll have an episode say on Bree or Carath Ungol or the Lonely Mountain or Numenor. So please write in and let me know if there's like a particular locale in Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit that you'd really like to hear covered. So I thought the best place to start probably was the Shire because that's where the that's where Both the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings start out. So, Sophia, what is the Shire?
1: Oh, the Shire is, I think, one of the most lovely of places. But it's the land of the Hobbits in Lord of the Rings and Hobbit, which I guess technically there are Hobbits outside of the Shire, or there were Hobbits outside of the Shire at some point.
0: They came from outside of the Shire. They settled the Shire and there are still some hobbits in places like places like Bree right which is technically yeah. outside of the shire but like pretty close by but yeah anyway keep going
1: mm-hmm. it's a pretty for the, most of the time it's a pretty rural place with homes which are depending on what area you're in some of them are actual like separate built houses but a lot of them are built into the sides of hills which with the very typical i think they all have round doors right even if they're built home, yeah i think
0: that's right yeah because even in brie when they have the rooms at the end that are four hobbits those rooms have round windows right so talking right. about round windows and round doors due to the tradition of digging holes among the hobbits that, that they just prefer the round doors and the round windows
1: it distinguishes them and then it looks very much the feel you get is that you're ambling around in the English countryside, or if you've seen the movies, I suppose, the New Zealand countryside, but just a peaceful, quaint little place.
0: and by the way, as far as the hills and and houses thing goes, the richest hobbits can afford to have really big like hills like Bilbo has with with nicely decorated holes and things like that. but that's only the very wealthiest. It's only like the one percent of the hobbits. And then you have, The lower class of hobbits who also use holes, but they're not as nice as the upper class holes. So it's mainly the middle class that live in houses built above ground. But even those houses, they have like one story. They don't like going upstairs and things like that. All hobbits had originally lived in holes in the ground, or so they believed. And in such dwellings, they still felt most at home. But in the course of time, they had been obliged to adopt other forms of abode. Actually, in the Shire and Bilbo's days, it was, as a rule, only the richest and poorest hobbits that maintained the old custom. The poorest went on living in burrows of the most primitive kind, mere holes indeed, with only one window or none, while the well-to-do still constructed more luxurious versions of the simple diggings of old. But suitable sites for these large and ramifying tunnels, or smeals, as they called them, were not everywhere to be found. And in the flats and in the low-lying districts the hobbits as they multiplied began to build above ground indeed even in the hilly regions in the older villages such as hobbiton or tuckborough or in the chief township of the shire mitchell delving on the white downs there are now many houses of wood brick or stone these were specially favored by millers smiths ropers and cartwrights and others of that sort for even when they had holes to live in, the hobbits had long been accustomed to build sheds and workshops. The habit of building farmhouses and barns was said to have begun among the inhabitants of the Marish Down by the Brandywine. It is probable that the craft of building, as many other crafts beside, was derived from the Dunedain, but the hobbits may have learned it direct from the elves, the teachers of men in their youth. The elves of the high kindred had not yet forsaken Middle-earth, and they dwelt still at that time at the Grey Havens away to the west, and in other places within reach of the Shire.
1: The Hobbits, I think, are particularly a particularly funny group of people who are, I guess they're supposed to be pretty English, right?
0: Yeah, it seems to be based on the English countryside, as, as, as you're saying, right? In these small towns that you could... You could kind of walk from one to the other in the the English countryside. It is like just really directly based on the area around Oxford. So the latitude of Hobbiton and Oxford are similar. Uh, The Shire is around the West Midlands region of England, and it extends basically to Worcestershire, where, where Tolkien grew up. Very much his corner of England, the Shires seems to be for, firmly based on on that, or at least the part that he is the fondest of. Anything else we should say when we answer the question of what the Shire is?
1: I mean, yeah, I feel like the Shire is primarily defined by its sort of by the hobbits and by their very quaint sort of little way of living that they're very concerned with food and drink, lots of meals. Um, they're not adventurous people. They just stay at home. The epitome of the Shire is a very homey place in comparison with even beautiful places like Lothlorien or you know, other elven or places or places of men. The Shire is like a very humble, quiet, slow place.
0: Yeah. To some extent, that's why it's so, so terribly important, right? Tolkien was primarily interested in the very elvish stuff, right? Like the very high part of the high fantasy, right? That's what, that's what seemed to me anyway, to really grip him. Right. And to really (laughs) like, this is, this is why he's writing myth, his entire life. The the Silmarillion. Right. And yet the Shire is the thing that most people seem to find the most appealing about, or, 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 or if not the most appealing, one of the main attractions right, of, of of his work seems to be the, the sort of hominess and quaint Englishness of the Shire. Uh, you You mentioned that the Shire can't be really separated from hobbits, right? That hobbits seem to mean the Shire and the Shire seems to sort of mean the hobbits. Why do you think that is?
1: I don't know. I guess when you're reading it, they seem so tied together. But I think the way that Tolkien writes Sort of each character or type of character is in a way defined by their place, or their place mirrors who they are, right? Like, you know, you have Mordor, it's all flames and fire and it's gross, and the people of the land of Mordor, the orcs and so on, are gross and cruel and lust after power, sort of thing. And so then the hobbits sort of seem to, they're born out of their land. And so I think the land shapes them, but then they shape the land as well just sort of yeah in the way that they interact with it same with the elves like I think of you know Lothlorien especially you sort of have Galadriel and it like I do not Galadriel just doesn't seem like she would fit anywhere else or belong anywhere else and so I suppose that just seems to be the way in which Tolkien writes (laughs) is that the people of the place are very connected with the place itself which perhaps comes from his extensive understanding of language and, and history and all that sort of thing of seeing how that happens in, in reality as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even, even at the very beginning of of all of it, right. With the, with the hobbits, the quest of the dwarves that they drag the hobbit into is to, you know, he's very, he's very comfortable in his place in the, in the shire. I don't think it's called the shire in the hobbit. I think it's just called, the The hill, maybe, maybe they say Hobbiton, but I don't think they do. But he's he's very comfortable living among hobbits. But the dwarves don't have a place. They they are they are placeless, and part of the quest is to regain that place from the from Smaug from the dragon. So you know they they have been absolutely shaped by, the Lonely Mountain, and 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 by honestly as like wandering. Wandering dwarves, right, doing menial work or whatever. The memory of this ancestral place that they had, and and have you know, and have since lost. So I think you're you're right. There's such there's a tension there though with with Tolkien because you have so many stories of wanderings, right, in in Tolkien, and so many stories of people who have lost their homeland, and 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 who and who remember it, right? Whether it, whether that's Numenor, whether that's Valinor for the elves which you know part of the part of the deal with Galadriel is that she's she's not supposed to be in Lothlórien, right? And she has made it her own, <laughs> but she's also done so sort of in in defiance of what the what the Valar had wanted for her and she's she's you know all the elves actually are more or less in exile right that's why when when lord of the rings opens they're all traveling west to go to their old place but it's also a new place and it's a place where they now have to be in subjection to the valar rather than rather than striking out on their own and doing what they want to do they They have to go back and I i think the elves even they originated on middle earth but they ended up most of them or many of them becoming high elves essentially in in valinor and then many of them leaving and going back to middle earth right so so yeah people are tied to place they're absolutely tied to place and place shapes them but there's also such a tension there and in some ways, there seems to be less of attention with the hobbits than with a lot of the other races in Middle-earth. There seems to be less wandering. The prologue talks a great deal about the Shire, probably more than it needs to, in, in The Lord of the Rings. And it has this like little little history of, of the hobbits themselves and, and, and the Shire. In the Westlands of Ariador, between the Misty Mountains and the Mountains of Loon, the hobbits found both men and elves. Indeed, a remnant still dwelt there of the Dúnedain, the kings of men that came over the sea out of westernness, but they were dwindling fast, and the lands of their north kingdom were falling far and wide into waste. There was room in despair for incomers, and ere long the hobbits began to settle in ordered communities. Most of their earlier settlements had long disappeared and been forgotten in Bilbo's time, but one of the first to become important still endured, though reduced in size, this was Bree, and in the Chetwood that lay round about, some forty miles east of the Shire. It was in these early days, doubtless, that the hobbits learned their letters and began to write after the manner of the Dunedain, who had, in their turn, long before, learned the art from the Elves. And in those days also they forgot whatever languages they had used before, and spoke ever after the common speech, the Westron, as it was named, that was current through all the lands of the kings from Arnor to Gondor, and about all the coasts of the sea from Belfalus to Loon. Yet they kept a few words of their own, as well as their own names of months and days, and a great store of personal names out of the past. About this time, legend among the hobbits first becomes history with a reckoning of years. For it was in the 1,601st year of the Third Age that the Hyde brothers, Marcho and Blanco, set out from Bree. And having obtained permission from the High King at Fornost, they crossed the brown river Baranduin with a great following of hobbits. They passed over the Bridge of Stonebows that had been built in the days of the power of the north kingdom, and they took all the land beyond to dwell in, between the river and the far downs. All that was demanded of them was that they should keep the great bridge in repair, and all other bridges and roads, speed the king's messengers, and acknowledge his lordship. Thus began the Shire reckoning, for the year of the crossing of the Brandywine, as the hobbits turned the name, became year one of the Shire, and all later dates were reckoned from it, At once the western hobbits fell in love with their new land, and they remained there, and soon passed once more, out of the history of men and of elves. While there was still a king, they were in name his subjects, but they were in fact ruled by their own chieftains and meddled not at all with events in the world outside. To the last battle at Fornost with the witch lord of Angmar, they sent some bowmen to the aid of the king, or so they maintained, though no tales of men record it. But in that war, the North Kingdom ended, and then the hobbits took the land for their own, and they chose from their own chiefs, a Thane, to hold the authority of the king that was gone. There for a thousand years, they were little troubled by wars, and they prospered and multiplied after the Dark Plague, until the disaster of the long winter and the famine that followed it. Many thousands then perished, but the days of dearth were at the time of this tale long past, and the hobbits had again become accustomed to plenty. The land was rich and kindly, and though it had long been deserted when they entered it, it had before been well tilled, and there the king had once had many farms, cornlands, vineyards, and woods. Forty leagues it stretched from the far downs to the Brandywine Bridge, and fifty from the northern moors to the marshes in the south. The hobbits named it the Shire, as the region of the authority of their Thane, and a district of well-ordered business. And there, in that pleasant corner of the world, they plied their well-ordered business of living, and they heeded less and less the world outside where dark things moved, until they came to think that peace and plenty were the rule in Middle-earth, and the right of all sensible folk. They forgot or ignored what little they had ever known of the guardians, and of the labors of those that made possible the long peace of the shire. They were, in fact, sheltered, but they had ceased to remember it. At no time had hobbits of any kind been warlike, and they had never fought among themselves. In olden days, they had, of course, been often obliged to fight to maintain themselves in a hard world. But in Bilbo's time, that was very ancient history. So that's a little... Little history of of the hobbits wandering into the Shire. They started out as as wanderers, right, and started out close to Greenwood, which became Merkwood and the Misty Mountains. And then, when Greenwood basically becomes sinister and Sauron takes up residence there, they migrate towards the towards the west. It's interesting that Tolkien put that much. About the, I mean, it it seems like something that should go in the appendix, right? And in fact, Ooh, at right. first, when I was looking for stuff on the Shire, I was looking all through the appendix. I was like, "Where is it? Where is it?" And of course, it's in the prologue, which is interesting. And and it does it does help if you're trying to follow, you know, the first few chapters and get a really good idea in your head of what exactly is going on and what they mean by this and what they they mean by that. But I don't think you really need it. I mean the only thing I can think of is that the Lord of the Rings was originally conceived as a Hobbit sequel. So Tolkien was like all right, they want more hobbits, I'll give them more hobbits. <laughs> right? So so it's like a very well developed look at the culture of the hobbits in the Hobbit we don't get any other hobbits besides Bilbo Bilbo, right? We don't we don't get we, we get I mean we get kind of this idea that it's a very peaceful place we hear a little bit about Bilbo's ancestors. We get names like the water, the hill, right? But but nothing nothing as specific as as we get in Lord of the Rings, where he just fleshes the Shire out like crazy. The Shire is divided into four quadrants. There is the East Farthing, South Farthing, West Farthing, and the aptly named North Farthing. And there's a big old stone in the middle of Shire called the three farthing stone that touches three of the farthings. Yeah. You've got the you've got kind of the area where the Tooks live in, I believe, the closer to the west. And you've got the area where the the Buckland, where the Brandy Bucks live, up up against the old forest in the east, right? Which is what they travel through. And that's the area that Frodo sort of comes from. That's where he was raised originally. And the weird thing about those people, you know, in in Buckland, is you know they're they're across that river, and they like to they like to mess about in boats, which is is horrible and ruinous, according to hobbits from the Shire. There's there's this sort of delicious provincialism. Provincialism itself being limited, and unconcerned with things far outside of your borders to the to the hobbits and they get they get some news from dwarves they get you know a a little bit of news of kind of the goings-on in the wider world but they're mostly pretty insulated they're mostly pretty sheltered and tolkien seems to be saying it's really not a bad thing even though like it it has its drawbacks right and has its it has its price they're 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 little People in the sense that, like, not only are they provincial, but they're often like kind of petty, and 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 they don't really care about the wider world, and they don't really, you know, they're they're interested in the things they happen to be interested in, and they don't really want to have their tastes expanded, and they certainly don't want to go on any adventures, right? According to according to the first chapter of The Hobbit, it's interesting that it's a it's a provincialism that has has fallen aspects to it has. Things about it that are not good, but that ultimately is not a terribly bad thing. And in fact, Frodo, when he's thinking about the Shire, he, he he wants to preserve it. He wants to save it, right? He wants to, he knows that in saving the whole world, which is a really, really big idea, right? Probably larger than, than most of us can can manage to conceive of that he's at least saving the shire by saving that whole world you're you're saving home right but uh, yeah and 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 that that love of home that love of, of a particular place that's left its mark on you is tolkien seems to be saying a really good thing
1: it's interesting too because it's like the hobbits have a certain role within the world like if the men tried to live that way it would be wrong because men have a responsibility to protect because they're big people and they can actually make a difference but hobbits as a whole society there's very little they can do to stand up against you know orcs and that sort of thing and so and yet of course it is a hobbit which saves everybody you know at the same time which is always yeah, an interesting dynamic of how Tolkien sort of holds all those moving pieces together. And I think the particular evil that the Shire faces in The Lord of the Rings feels very Shire-ish, like it's very petty bureaucracy that takes them over with a (laughs) pretty dark side to it. But it's a very Shire-ish corruption of what was once good about the Shire. And I think who knows, maybe you can even see the scourging of the Shire as sort of the Hobbits. Even the Hobbits have to grow up a little bit and get a little wiser and come a bit more face-to-face with the world.
0: I think so. Part of what the people that take over the Shire while the Hobbits are away seem to be doing is is claiming that they're bringing the Hobbits into line with a, with a kind of standard, right? With a sort of, I don't think they say with, with the rest of the world or something like that, but they do at least say like... It, things things need to change, right? but but, yeah, it all is the uh, the changes are you know they're they're essentially creating more bureaucracy, right? And uh, you know anyone anyone who's in the teaching profession, I think can read the scouring of a Shire with a certain amount of satisfaction, but uh, there's a yeah, or or a lot of a lot of other professions as well, but uh, yeah, yeah, there's a there's a kind of shire sized evil that that ends up affecting. The Shire that the four hobbits have to drive back out at the end of Return of the King. But but yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, by virtue of their being exposed to the wide world outside of them, they seem to be fit to do it. Right. Whereas if they had stayed in the Shire and not grown by going out into the wide world and by encountering far worse things, right, they probably would have been a thrall to... Spoilers, Cerimon uh, as well, right? But but they've been, they're bigger, you know, both literally and 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 figuratively, right? Because Merry and Pippin drink from that, and Entish dropped and and end up growing, fun. but but they're they feel you know they just kind of laugh at the hobbits who are trying to enforce this weird arbitrary uh, top down order that has nothing to do with people's actual needs and and then they just really don't take any of it seriously at all but but yeah i mean their exposure to the wider world allows them to become heroes and protectors of ordinary hobbits who are made miserable by this change that, that occurs but yeah to your point i don't i don't know i don't know how necessary it is for all hobbits to have more experience of the why. I mean, it does seem to make them their provincialism does have a stupid side to it, right? And and even Frodo is like these hobbits are stupid and and petty. And I think you know an invasion of dragons would do them some good, right? If for no other reason than that there is a hardiness it seems like to most of the hobbits that that comes out when they're faced with danger but they seem to it seems like they have to go outside of the shire for that to happen (laughs) yeah which is interesting because that that is we we've been talking about the connection of the hobbits with the shire right but is that connection only beneficial to them if they've been developed by going outside of the Shire by seeing what they can really do is it is it something that is only for certain hobbits to leave the Shire and sort of find themselves as heroic hobbits and then never quite ever fit in back in the Shire again right because Tolkien seems to be saying like yes that is noble right um, and and the noblest hobbits have all done that. They've gone out into the wider world and fought and been away from the Shire for a while so that when they come back, they can really appreciate it. Right. That's the there and back again Right. Element, right? And even even in Lord of the Rings, last words, well, said Sam, I'm back, or something like that. Right. So he's, you know, you've 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 got to you you come back, but your perspective is altered, and that's a good thing for most of those. But but is it fine for some of the hobbits who just kind of live there and who don't go off on adventures to just kind of live out of existence as hobbits, enjoying simple pleasures, not ever having something Tookish awaken in their hearts, right? When they hear the songs of dwarves, just kind of enjoy good tilled earth and good meals and yeah, not ever have to not ever have to go outside of the Shire, right? Because that's 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 what it's it's there for, right? It's, it seems to be there, at least in Frodo's mind, to keep his people safe from danger, right? But does keeping them safe actually make them more petty than they would be otherwise?
1: I feel like it probably could make them more petty. But I guess it seems like the most important thing is that the land itself stays safe so that hobbits are always given the choice to take danger upon themselves or not instead of their home itself being invaded. Like, I feel like that's got to be the important part about the Shire is that no matter what, there is a free land. And I feel like for the hobbits that, you know, the majority of the hobbits that never go on any such adventures, it does certainly seem like it's, you know, quite all right. As long as you don't descend to a Sackville Baggins level, you know, you're, you're doing pretty well. But But at the same time, I feel like, you know, you you would say that still Bilbo and maybe not Frodo because he was so deeply wounded, but the Mary and Pippin and Sam, you would say there's something qualitatively better about their experience of the Shire after their return than before just because hardship does make you realize the beauty of home that much more. But then not everybody necessarily has to experience the best version of the shire or experience it to its fullest extent.
0: Three elf towers of immemorial age were still to be seen on the Tower Hills beyond the Western marches. They shone far off in the moonlight. The tallest was furthest away, standing alone upon a green mound. The hobbits of the west farthing said that one could see the sea from the top of that tower, but no hobbit had ever been known to climb it. Indeed, few hobbits had ever seen or sailed upon the sea, and fewer still had ever returned to report it. Most hobbits regarded even rivers and small boats with deep misgivings, and not many of them could swim. And as the days of the shire lengthened, they spoke less and less with the elves, and grew afraid of them, and distrustful of those that had dealings with them. And the sea became a word of fear among them, and a token of death. And they turned their faces away from the hills in the west. I wonder, too, you mentioned that they're really not meant to, that that it would be wrong for humans to just live in this very protected place. But the the fact does remain that he he's basing the shire folk like out of all the inhabitants of middle earth the hobbits are the most human like right and in, in the sense of like they're they're the ones who are the most like modern humans or or you know rural victorian humans which is the closest we get to to modern humans and other than like you know the the Pseudo communist forces that invade the shire, you know, and make it all very even more modern, right? In in a bad way, but but yeah, these kind of like rural Victorian people who don't like machines very much, but otherwise have sort of modern humble sensibilities. They are very human. So is 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 it fine as as far as you can tell for the people who? Tolkien is basing Sharia folk on. Is it fine for them to essentially live like that? Or is it or is this a mischaracterization of them on Tolkien's part? Like, do they have far deeper griefs and far more traumatic experiences than Tolkien's necessarily giving them or an far more ability to to feel things deeply and to be elevated by, you know? beautiful experiences or whatever than Tolkien's giving them credit for.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I would imagine that, yeah, people are certainly more complex than that. And I wonder, too, if there's something, not to make it biographical in any way, but it seems like you could make some sort of correlation to war, right, of those who did leave England to go and fight, and then they come back, and they're trying to protect this place. But I mean, it's hard to make too much of an analogy considering really all of England was (laughs) physically affected by the war. And so everybody shared in the suffering to some extent, there were any pockets of, you know, shire like safety there.
0: Oh, but I think, I think the analogy to war is just, it's just there. Like it's, 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 it's what every soldier says, you know, at least there's my ideal of the place where I grew up back home right? And that's what I'm fighting for when I go out of this foreign land and see these things that I've never seen before, that nobody at home has seen, that that ultimately cuts me off from them, right? From these people that I'm protecting. But yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right to bring that up.
1: Yeah. And it seems like not everybody is, it's not expected or called of everybody to sort of fulfill that role. But I think that's sort of Perhaps we would think better of some of the hobbits if they were grateful <laughs> to Frodo and Sam and Merry and Pippin and they sort of, or grateful, like I know Aragorn talks about how the Dunedain have been protecting them all this time, but you know, the hobbits, they don't notice, they don't care. Uh-huh. If it weren't for the rangers, they would have had a lot, a lot of problems before. So perhaps that's sort of the balance of, is it all right to live in such ignorance that you're being protected, even if, or should you be aware that... <laughs> you know, you owe your very existence to these people who really have no particular reason to be protecting you.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really important element of the Shire as well, that, you know, as, as Tolkien kind of says, there is, there's, there's this general idea that this is the way life is we're safe, you know, in, in general, there are these weird people kind of on the borders and we try to keep them out mostly, you know, but, but, but yeah, for the most part, like, this is the center of the earth basically or the or the center of the world all this stuff about like you know dragons and giants and things like that that's all quite silly really you know because they don't see the dangers themselves because they're 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 kept out again like i don't want to make it like you were saying i don't want to make it just just an allegory for a soldier's experience cuz i think there's more going on with the shire especially but that that as as you point out, are is is absolutely there too, right? This sort of idea of people not appreciating the the lengths that a soldier has to go to to protect their their homeland. Now that, of course, gets trotted out during like every war, regardless of whether it's actually, protecting a homeland or not. Right. And sometimes it might be in ways that like we can't see. And sometimes maybe it's not, but I think that's really there. I think also, also just the, the conception of the Shire as this ideal place that you leave behind when you go out into the wide world to do your difficult thing, right. Whether it's fighting a war, whether it's something else. Right. And you can always come back there. And, and I think many, many times Soldiers and I guess missionaries as well, although missionaries it doesn't work quite as well for because they're not doing it on behalf of where they came from. They're doing it on behalf of the kingdom of God, right? Which is everywhere, right? But 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 yeah, soldiers are doing it on behalf of this like land that they love, that they that they imagine is still there, and that they need to think of as being unchanged or standing for something or or whatever else. And too often. You know, of course, their experiences. They go back, and either time passes and things change, or things have already changed by the time they get back. Right? So, like, this is not the place I fought for. You know, but which, which obviously was the experience of of many after World War II in both the West, but especially I think the East when the so many of these countries in Eastern Europe finally liberated from the Nazis and they fell under the communists right, right. Um, and and it wasn't really a laughing matter for them like it was for Frodo and and his friends. but but yeah, again, not to make this all allegorical, but it there there's a correspondence there, I think, for, for a reason. The last battle before this story opens, and indeed the only one that had ever been fought within the borders of the Shire was beyond living memory. The Battle of Greenfields, SR 1147, in which Bandabras took, routed an invasion of orcs. Even the weathers had grown milder, and the wolves that had once come ravening out of the north in bitter white winters were now only a grandfather's tale. So, though there was still some store of weapons in the Shire, these were used mostly as trophies hanging above hearths or on walls, or gathered into the museum at Mitchell Delving. The Mathom House, it was called, for anything that hobbits had no immediate use for, but were unwilling to throw away, they called a Matham. Their dwellings were apt to become rather crowded with Mathams, and many of the presents that passed from hand to hand were of that sort. Nonetheless, ease and peace had left this people still curiously tough. They were, if it came to it, difficult to daunt or to kill, and they were perhaps so unwearyingly fond of good things not least because they could, when put to it, do without them, and could survive rough handling by grief, foe, or weather in a way that astonished those who did not know them well and looked no further than their bellies and their well-fed faces. They were slow to quarrel, and for sport killing nothing that lived, they were doughty at bay, and at need could still handle arms. They shot well with the bow, for they were keen-eyed and sure at the mark, not only with bows and arrows, if any hobbit stooped for a stone, it was well to get quickly under cover, as all trespassing beasts knew very well. Uh... What do you think about how that they they deal with the scouring of the shire? Pretty deftly and pretty quickly and easily, like <laughs> they just knock down all the ugly buildings, and they you know, build things back the way they were and then they go on and they have a thane and you know essentially set the set the clock back, right? Does that to you does that strain credibility? I mean, they are hobbits, so again, not the same as humans, despite being based on humans, but they they seem to just dispense with Sharky and and tongue and all the people that they had sort of under them which nobody really liked anyway um I mean yeah it's 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 quite a feat and it's it's one of the more difficult parts for me to kind of believe especially if hobbits are given to being petty but yeah what's your tech take on it
1: yeah I mean I guess I, I never thought about it too much of how easy or, or hard it is. But you're right that perhaps a bit more realistic account of it would have a few more bumps along the road. I suppose that maybe Tolkien's just sort of things go quickly because it is the setting right of things. Yeah, And, you know, the biggest battle has already been won. The darkness has already been overthrown, so it should go decently speedy in that way. I'm thinking it has to do, yeah, more with the arc of the story of why it's so simple and resolved so quickly than necessarily all the the Hobbit's is taken into account.
0: I want to get back then really to your overarching point because I think it's really important. How does the Shire anchor The story of the Lord of the Rings, and even the the story of the Hobbit, as well as the the characters and the and the reader, right? And so you asked that question. What what do you mean by what do you mean by anchor?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of how to yeah expand on that more. Sort of, maybe I'll, I'll give an example of something that doesn't have it to sort of get at what I'm what I'm thinking of. So I. I have never read these books so maybe they're better but I I watched like the first two episodes of the show of I can't even remember what it's called now but it was it's some fantasy sh- shadow and bone is that maybe what it's called some fantasy show on Netflix okay. I watched like the first episode or two and I was like this is terrible for many reasons but one of the reasons is that it plunges you straight into just utter darkness like the world is just messed up completely and none of the characters are super great either. Like it's just dark and despairing. Mm-hmm. And so I watched an episode or two and I was like, I just have no, there's nothing compelling me to go forward in this because all I see is darkness. I don't see how this is ever going to be resolved. I don't even have anything to like hold on to if this is what the world could be or what we could go back to. Like, what are you even aiming for here? It's just darkness everywhere I look. And so I immediately thought of how, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings is the complete opposite of that. You don't ever start in the darkness, which is a slight peeve I guess I have with The Lord of the Rings movies, but I guess that's honestly the best place to put that background information in the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's all right. But you start off with something that's worth believing in and worth fighting for. And then I think that's what enables The Hobbit's Enables the story, enables you as the reader to go through the darkness because you know that there is something that there's still something good in this world, no matter how bad Mordor is, no matter how many chapters you have of just Frodo and Sam and Gollum in the depths of misery and complete and utter despair and grossness. Like, I think if you didn't have the Shire, not just the Shire, but Rivendell, all the beautiful places in the beginning to anchor you to a sense of this place, Middle Earth is worth saving i don't think you could keep reading and i don't think the story would i don't think the hobbits could keep going so that's sort of yeah yeah
0: that's really well said i love that yeah i mean i think it's worth noting that the things that tolkien wrote that were very 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 successful started in the shire right even though that's that doesn't seem to be Captivated his imagination as much. You know, he, he, things like Rivendell and Numenor were the things that he, or, you know, Valinor or, or, you know, Tyrion on Tuna or whatever, all these other elvish cities, right? They are what he daydreamed about, it seems like, rather than like East Farthing or the, Bywater Inn or, or whatever else. But but yeah, you're absolutely right. It, I, I would say also, not just the bad stuff, but the really high, beautiful, ethereal stuff also doesn't have, we don't have as much of a stake in it if we don't start out in the Shire, if we don't start out with the Hobbits you know because the hobbits are 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 basically us you know and and, and we have this kind of a homely home right uh, a very like uh, humble earthy homely place to start out with that is a little bit idyllic so that we get an idea of just exactly what frodo and bilbo are giving up when they set out right and it's it's boring in some ways, but it's boring in like the best way, right? It's it's boring in this in this kind of idyllic way. And I like your choice of words; as it's a kind of anchor in, in the story, or it's a kind of anchor for for both the characters and the and the and the story and the and the reader as well, because we do all feel, I think, anyway, at home in the shire. And I don't know why. I don't know why we feel more at home there. Maybe it's got to do with the hobbits and how silly they are and how they're not like these great mythic epic heroes or whatever else. Or maybe it's the countryside or the simple sort of pleasures that, you know, most of us don't get to hear. Elves singing or whatever else, but we do know what it's like to eat good food, right? And and sometimes like that meal is almost a spiritual experience for us, like in like if you've seen Babette's Feast or anything like that, right? So so sometimes like the pleasures that the hobbits enjoy and the and the country that they enjoy is in a lot of ways this sort of ideal, and we and we climb from it to higher things, right? But then we also dive from it down to, you know, lower depths and and horrors and things like that. But yeah, it provides kind of a ballast for both of those so that the sort of petty evils and the, you know, limited but still good, humble goods of the Shire end up sort of expanding out as you go out into this wide world. In the Shire, evil might take the form of wanting to hold on to a ring and sort of making jokes at the expense of all of your friends and family before you leave, right? And good might take the form of loving Poetry and loving to wander around and go on walking tours of the Shire and things, you know, and good beer and obviously, of course, pipeweed. Yes. But when you leave the Shire being already grounded in those extremely relatable forms of good and evil, you see far more, far more sort of essential types of, of good and essential types of evil, right. Or, or of light and of darkness, right. Whether it's, whether it's the elves or, or whether it's the land of Mordor or, or whatever else, but the hobbits are always kind of, you know, if, if if we, if we didn't have the hobbits eyes to look through at the rest of middle earth, and if we didn't have sort of the shire behind us, right. These things, I think even the, even the beautiful things, even the good things would, Seem to matter less because, because we are human, and there's a there's a sort of you know there's a sort of homeliness to the hobbits and to the Shire that that make these things matter. It's it it really is funny how that that one sentence in the hole in the ground there lived a hobbit made this whole world of beauty that. Tolkien had been cooking up since World War One, right? And, and and afterwards made it all sort of come home to people and and matter to people, right? In ways that it wouldn't have mattered if it was just the Silmarillion. So you bring up the you, you brought up the movies as well. And I think that I think that in some ways like you can't fault the movie too much because what movies need to do, and what honestly, like what most modern books need to do now, they, they don't they're not written the way *The Lord of the Rings* is written. Even books in Tolkien's time weren't really written the way *Lord of the Rings* was written, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but the beginning of your book is a promise to your reader that this is the way the book is going to be, right? And and Tolkien doesn't exactly keep that promise because, like, <laughs> the first entire book of *Lord of the Rings* is all hobbitry, right? It's all, you know, there 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 are some deep frightening moments but you don't get that really to the second chapter when and then it's just Gandalf talking about it right so and then things get darker and darker and darker and it's incredibly successful the way he pulls it off and I love it but a modern editor would be like no it's this this is not indicative of the way if you open the book to the middle and read there, it's complete, it's not the Shire. Like it's completely different from the Shire. <laughs> and so I think what the Jackson films were doing was just adopting that more modern sense of like, okay, you gotta you gotta show your readers, you gotta show your audience what kind of a thing this is before you take them someplace different that they're gonna go away from. And so I, I think that's why you have that prologue with the big, like, you know, with the ethereal music Because then I think what the film does really well is it immediately contrasts that epic opening with the simple shire, right? And, and the reader or the, the audience, it immediately like is kind of at a loss. They're like, oh, I thought this was going to be this big grand epic thing with a bunch of CGI armies that I don't really care that much about, but <laughs> it's this beautiful pasture land, you know, in, and with, with people living in little holes and playing jokes on each other and things like that. Right. And I think, I think that also reflects this whole thing that, that Tolkien talks about in the prologue of like hobbits don't really realize what the wider world is like, or the context of their own place of their own shire. Right. That it doesn't just exist in this sort of self existent way. But it exists in a history and that history is epic and painful and scary and tragic and, and, and beautiful. And they occupy this one little corner of it, but it's a corner of it that can be fully occupied and deeply occupied and enjoyed. And a lot of them do, but, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying by any means that Tolkien should have started his book the way that pj did with, with the with the movie but but i think the movie does highlight some aspects of of the shire and its relationship to middle earth that's that's fun
1: yeah it works better for a movie it, it does drive me insane that books aren't written the way tolkien writes them
0: i know me too <laughs> i actually i've had a guest on the show a few times now named jonathan geltner who's written a work of literary fiction about a guy who writes fantasy but it's you know it's more or less in the real world but his whole thing is like okay the most important thing about fantasy is the landscape and the the place and making places real and doing them justice and he he warms up to things in his writing from what i've been able to see so maybe he'd be worth checking out but uh, yeah i think we sacrifice so much in terms of payoff if we try to get the reader interested in this sort of like what's the word i want interested in this sort of it's a v word well, anyway, if if we try to immediately get them really, the only way I can think of is titillated, right? But yeah, we, we sacrifice a lot if we try to immediately going into the novel, right? If we try to right away get the reader hooked on you know, oh no, will this, will this happen? This person's in danger, blah, 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 you know, instead of doing what Victorian novelists did and Tolkien does where you're just kind of, you, you assume that your reader wants to read your book, that you're not tricking them, that they wouldn't rather be watching Netflix because if they would rather be watching Netflix, they'll be watching Netflix, but instead pay them the compliments of thinking they want to stick with a Piece of prose that describes something in detail and characterizes someone in detail, and, and lets you kind of sit with them before things get really crazy. Because if you let them do that, if you let them kind of walk around the Shire for a while and meet its eccentric hobbits or, or, or whatever else, like we've been saying this whole time, they're going to care an awful lot more when those things happen to those people, right? Than when they when they are in danger, it will matter so much more than if from the first page, you're like, and the black riders were attacking Frodo, you know, and you're like, okay, I guess I kind of care. Cause somebody's in danger, but I don't know who that person is. And you know, you, it's, it's just not gonna, not gonna matter as much if you start immediately with something suspenseful uh, as opposed to just kind of enjoying the place and enjoying the people in the in the novel so yeah i'm 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 on your team there yeah okay so final thing to talk about with the shire and we'll we'll gloss over pipeweed unfortunately but you know if you want more on pipeweed there's an entire part of the prologue in lord of the rings that's dedicated to pipeweed and uh, yeah The great thing about the Shire is you can always go back just by opening up Lord of the Rings and soaking it in and enjoying the eccentric, goofy, homey, humble hobbits and and their land. But okay. Yeah. So final question, Peter Jackson, of course, like most of us, when we think of the Shire, I think even like the Wikipedia page of the Shire has a picture of New Zealand rather than Worcestershire, right? On it when, because that's... What, where the films were set but if you were to do a film of of the lord of the rings and of the shire how would you represent it differently from the way jackson did is his representation of the shire just like the pinnacle of what's possible and representing that sort of life or is there something else that could be done wow
1: feels hard to top peter jackson um
0: that was a sneaky question. I I kind of just thought on thought of it off the cuff, so no worries. If, uh...
1: I feel like what would be cool would be, you know, you really only see Hobbiton. They kind of speed through, cut out most of the other bits. So I feel like a cool characterization would be to kind of include some of the other parts of the Shire, but like the parts that he does show, I don't know how you could make that any better. And especially like you throw Howard Shore's music into the background like how can how can you talk that? I mean, maybe filming it in England, but
0: yeah,
1: New Zealand countryside, the parts of they show does seem to look pretty similar to the English countryside yeah. I've been in, at least, <laughs> yep,
0: yeah, 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 I mean, it looks like a like a younger world, which is as it should be, yeah, I mean, so. Hobbits have lived in the Shire for about as long as the English have lived in England, right? Roughly, you know, maybe a little bit longer. You know, and I don't know how you would accomplish doing this. But, you know, when, whenever I whenever I go to England, whenever I go to these old villages in England, you can feel the age of it, right? There's evidence of, of there are ruins in like quaint little English villages, right? And it feels even more staid, And respectable, you know, despite some of the local youth and even more just kind of ancient, but not in like an uber dignified way. Right. Like, like in, in this, in this quaint way, but it's still as an American, I'm always, I always feel a sense of awe, like looking at how old these, you know, buildings are and granted the hobbits make burrows. Right. And that's their oldest type of building. But I, maybe just in terms of like the hedges and the way the earth is tilled, you know, even when the hobbits got to the Shire, it had already been tilled earth. Like the king of Arnor had already had farms there, right? And they like basically let the hobbits stay so that they'll keep the road and bridge in repair, right? And let them let them, you know, keep the land up, I wonder. I wonder if there would be a way, even more, to convey that sort of ancient quality that you that you feel when you go to like, you know, little English villages on walking tours or or, or whatever else. Because New Zealand still like there's a there's always like this slight sense of wildness even in even in the shire to me anyway it's just may, maybe like things are overgrown although like english gardens are are overgrown i don't know what it is maybe it's just a, an essential difference between new zealand and england but yeah i don't know i like the idea of walking around and and going to see some of these other some of those, these other places some of the other parts of the shire whether it's frogmorton right or or of course mitchell delving michael delving the the capital apparently of the of the shire where the you know where the where the mayor of the hobbits lives and we forgot to talk about like politics and stuff like that which a a lot of people take the shire as as being this sort of like anarchic paradise and i don't know i yeah i don't know
1: you could make 20 episodes on the shire
0: yeah Yeah. But, but, but yeah, apparently by all accounts, even though I can never figure the dang thing out, Lord of the Rings online has a whole like shire that you can explore and you can go and see the three farthing stone. And there's a little, there's a little inn called the bird and the baby. And there are a bunch of hobbit, hobbit inklings, talking there and there's like the little fox that they see who like thinks as like the one fox in the game that doesn't run away from you and all of that stuff and if I had more patience and fewer children I would probably spend some time you know wandering around there but the game like you have to do all these quests or whatever and you can't just like wander around at first and I just kind of and more for exploring and wandering. So I watched a YouTube video on it and it looked cool, but uh, yeah. All right, listeners. Well, you tell us what's your favorite part of the Shire. Email us at inklingsvarietyhour at gmail.com. Tell us what we forgot to talk about concerning the Shire. Maybe we'll do an episode two on the Shire. But if there's some other part of Tolkien's world that you would like to hear an episode on, Write us, suggest it, um, and we will probably we'll probably do that. Yeah, if if we if we agree and if we like it too. So so Sophie, thank you again for for giving so generously of your of your time and of and of talking with me about the Shire. Very enjoyable. Um,
1: Always love the chat.
0: <laughs> and enjoy the very Shire-like countryside of Virginia, which is well tilled and full of peaceful folk I, i'm not sure exactly what georgia would correspond with but i'll i'll try to enjoy georgia as well which is really you know it's not virginia but it's 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 nice
1: uh, there's hobbity people in georgia
0: <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah for sure for sure there are maybe more like stores i don't know but all right well thank you listeners for coming along we'll see you next time bye
1: full of joy and scheduled on the decent plan, with here an addict of Tolkien, there a Charles Williams fan. My dear bagginses and buffins, toots <laughs> <tukes> and brandy <laughs> 111th birthday Happy birthday The last 111 years is far too short a time To live among such excellent And admirable hobbits I don't know half of you Half as well as I should like And I like less than half of you Half as well as you deserve I, uh I regret to announce this is the end. I'm going now. I bid you all a very fond farewell. Goodbye.